Tucker did a great job for us tonight. This is the first time that he's led here after officially being a member here, but led back in college and, and here at Memorial a couple of times back in those days. It's amazing. It's his first time to lead here, and I can already hear his voice in my head when he's not singing. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure exactly what happened with our recording, but all that is okay. That's good. You know, and I got to thinking, this is not an amen type sermon tonight, and so I may say this next Sunday, but with the audience with mask on, this is the perfect time to start saying amen because nobody can tell that you're the one saying it. Isn't that nice? I tried this with Barbara in stores, just making sounds, you know, woohoo, and, and she says, everybody knows that was you. So tonight we're talking about don't underestimate God. Now, last week we talked about don't underestimate yourself, but tonight it's don't underestimate God. And boy, do you ever do that? I do it all the time. All the time. I'll talk about how great God is, and then I'll have a problem, and I'll worry about my problem. I'll, I can preach about how great God is and what God does and how God created the heavens and the earth and all those things, but then I'm worried about all the little things in my life and don't give God the credit that God deserves. Or I'll use phrases like this every once in a while. I am so lucky. Boy, we are just so lucky, aren't we? Really? Instead, we don't give God the credit for what God does. And some people say sometimes we give God too much credit. He didn't do this or he didn't do that. Well, I would rather make a mistake by giving God too much credit than not giving God enough credit. So tonight we're still in the story of Gideon. This is what our second or third week of looking at Gideon. And so tonight as we look at Gideon, we're going to see that Gideon, this whole thing about underestimating God, he now believes in himself and God has called Gideon to be part of the solution. You remember the issue is, is that Israel had been away from God. They hadn't done what God wanted, but now God has heard their cries, and he says, okay, we're going to come back together, and you are going to defeat the Midianites that are overpowering you. I have never lived in such a place of where a foreign, a foreign army or a foreign government was over me but surely that was often the way it was in biblical times because the people would do evil and then these foreign governments would take them over or be the big thumb that was on top of their heads. Even in the time of Jesus, you remember that's the issue that the Roman Empire is over Israel and even though they have their own government and had the Sanhedrin that was to decide things for the Jews. Still, when it really came down to it on big issues, it was the Roman government that would get involved. You can decide your issues as long as you don't get too crazy. And so that's the issue. The Midianites are over God's people. And you remember all the things that Gideon went through last week as we talked as he's down in, in the ground in a wine press getting his wheat ready and how yucky and terrible that must have been and his sinuses must have been awful and he feels like he's nothing and he argues with the angel and says, why would God want me? I am the least and my tribe is the least. He's saying, I am at the very bottom. Why would anyone consider me? And you might remember the stories also that are told in the, in, in the same book of Judges about how he put out the fleece and if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then he'll know that God wants him. And then it's if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I'll know. And he goes through all these different things with God saying, give me this sign. Okay, well, I got that one. Let's try another one. Let's try two out of three. You've done that before, right? 
you want to do something and so you flip the coin and it comes it doesn't come your way so you go okay two out of three three out of five five out of whatever right we've all done that before and now Midian is or Gideon is doing that with God and every time it comes out the way God said God was patient with Gideon I don't know if you have figured this out but God is patient with us the reason that this world is still going around is because God is patient. I don't even know that came from Frank Devine over there because he has his mask on. But God is patient with us. The reason that we were, a we're even able to be here tonight or to watch on the internet is because God is patient with us and giving us an opportunity not only to serve him, but to repent if that's what we need to do and to follow him. So God is patient with Gideon. And instead of pointing his finger the way people imagine God doing sometimes, God assured Gideon, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be with you. I will do the fighting. It's going to be okay. Don't we need that sometimes? Don't we get all bent out of shape and worried and upset? What is the old phrase? Discombobulated, right? Sometimes. And God says, it's okay. It's okay. And that's what he's saying to Gideon here. It's all right. It's all right. Just uh, breathe deeply. It's going to be okay. In Judges 6, verses 25 through 27, says that same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. This is God telling him to go up on what's called the high place, the religious place. Tear down, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of, of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Oh, that's kind of funny in a way. We'll talk about that in just a second if I remember. But this was his father's property. I don't know how you grew up, but can you imagine doing this, going out in the garage and messing with your dad's classic car? Or can you imagine even taking your father's lawnmower and messing with it? destroying it, Ta taking out the motor of that car, or scratching it, how awful that would be. But this isn't just about a hobby that his father has. This is his father's religion. And it is the religion of the people that are all around him that they are worshiping Baal rather than God. And God says, go up there and tear that thing down. Now, it is scary to do that to anybody, but to tear down your dad's Religious shrine? This is really rough. This is really serious. The high place and the pole were used for false worship. They were used for worshiping Baal, worshiping false gods. That's why they're there. And you go to the high place, and apparently all the high places, they thought somehow they would be nearer or closer to Baal. Just like sometimes maybe you've done. The church camp I went to growing up had a little, they call it a mountain, but there weren't any trees. It was just big rocks. But we would have our devotional in the morning up on that mountain, and it just felt so great because you just felt so close to God. Sometimes we feel that way if we go to Colorado or somewhere else, and you're up there in the mountains. 
Well, that's the way the people would worship in those days, not just God, Yahweh, but they would do that, the same thing with, with uh, Baal. They were used for false worship. But God can use those same things that were used for heathen purposes, God can use for good. Did you ever think about that? God says, I want you to build an altar right there where the bad altar was, and I want you to take that Asherah pole, and I want you to cut it up and use the wood out of it and offer something to me out of something that is bad. You don't just have to leave it bad. You don't have to leave it wrong. You find a good way to use what's there. I don't know if you've realized this. Some of you have taken those tours of Italy or maybe even uh, Israel and other places, and you'll see where they put put church buildings, you know, especially in Italy. Do you know what those, in, in, in Israel as well, but you know what was there before the church building was there for a lot of those places? They were temples to false gods, and so what they were declaring they were doing was taking that land back for God. What had been used for evil now they would put something on it where people would worship God. Sometime we can go into the whole thing if we study church history sometime about some of the mistakes they made whenever they would do that sometimes or some of the traditions that they would have to teach the people, don't do those things, you worship God now, you're not worshiping something else. When I was in graduate school, I wrote a lot of papers about a lot of things that nobody cares very much about, but I always thought they were fun. And one of the things I wrote a paper about was the history of Christmas. That's kind of, you know, at least I had hot chocolate while I would work there at my computer, you know, it was all nice. Well, we always talk about what day was Jesus born. And to tell you the truth, there are a lot of things that we can't, as far as the history of Christmas goes, there are a lot of things that we cannot just nail down exactly because the history is a little bit hard to just say this is exactly it. But let me tell you some interesting things about it. December 25th, or our December 25th, was the day that pagans worshipped the sun. Is that not interesting? So do you know what Christians were, what it appears Christians were doing? Christians were taking a day where it looked like the whole world was worshiping the, create, the creation and saying, let's do something positive with that and let's remember Jesus and his birth. So they were trying to say, let's take a negative and make it into a positive. Kind of like what my school did with what they called Project Graduation, where a lot of kids after graduation would go out and get not just drunk, but really drunk. And so it was to say, let's take, make a different party and make it something positive and safe rather than something dangerous. Now that's what's happening here that God is directing with this Asherah pole and with this altar to Baal. He's saying, take that altar and destroy it. But don't destroy the land. On top of that land, you're going to put an altar to Yahweh, to the God we worship, and you're going to take that Asherah pole, and you're going to cut it down, and you're going to use it for firewood in order to offer a sacrifice to me. And so God takes the bad and makes it into something good. 
you know, it's funny that Gideon does this at night because he's afraid. I can, I can imagine the conversation. Well, God didn't say when I need to do it, right? He just said I need to do it, so I'll go do it. How about 3 o'clock in the morning? I'm always up at that time. You know, I get up and get a drink, glass of milk, whatever. I'll just go out and then destroy the altar then. But he's afraid. God's promises are wonderful, but people are still scary. Isn't that right? Now, that's a good amen one right there. Yeah, people are still scary. You know the promises. You know that God says that there's a home for us. You know that we will live with God forever. You know those things. We all know those things, but we still get really scared, don't we? We get, we get scared about all kinds of things. We worry about our country. We worry about our health. We worry about what we eat. We worry and we worry and worry and worry. We worry about, the, about our income and the economy, and we worry. And God says, do you not remember this, the promises I made? Yeah, I remember those, but people are still really scary. You know, there's that old story, I think I told it not long ago, where the boy goes into his, the boy's crying, and, and his dad goes in into his room, it's, it's night, and the boy's supposed to be asleep, and the boy's crying, and he says, why are you afraid? He said, I just need somebody with me, and, and God says, well, don't you remember God is always with you? And the little boy says, yes, I know, but I need someone with skin right now, right? We all are like that a little bit, right? We all get nervous because of this world and the things that are around us. I always find it interesting that the Apostle Paul, when you start talking about anxiety, anxiety and worry, and the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, when he goes through this list of everything, and he talks about, talks about being shipwrecked, and he talks about being beaten with rods, and he talks about being whipped, and he talks about being run out of town, and he talks about all those things, and he concludes it with, and the daily concern or the daily worry for all the churches. Wow, there's something interesting. He's putting worry or anxiety as a big thing. So what should we do? Just stop that, right? It just doesn't quite work that way, even though God's promises are so great. So in Judges chapter 6, verses 28 through 32, in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down in the second bowl sacrificed, on the newly built altar. And they ask each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And the people of the, of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you going to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal is really, really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name, this becomes his nickname, Jerob Baal that day, which means let Baal contend with him. So everywhere he goes, it's like, okay, you just let Baal contend with you. Hey, where's that kid? Let Baal contend with him. Where is let Baal? Tell him to come over here. It's like saying, you better watch out. Police are after you. And your name becomes, watch out, the police are after you. It's crazy, isn't it? But that's what happens to him. But Gideon's father, who you would think might be really upset, Gideon's father protected him. He has destroyed his father's property. 
He has destroyed the place where the people go and worship that his father happens to own. But his father, for whatever reason, really loves his son or decides at this moment that this is the time to protect his son and not kill his son. Maybe it's, you're not going to kill him because I'm going to do that later. Maybe that's what he's saying. I don't know. But he protects his son. You know, we will be surprised by who and what God uses. We don't always know, but we sure think we know. We can do all the logic. We think we can figure it out. We can make charts. We can get a spreadsheet. We can do all kinds of things. We can put all the numbers into a computer and let them spit out something that tells us exactly the way things are going to be. And we don't know who or what God will use. Here God is using his father who might have been upset. Here God is using the altar of a false god in an Asherah pole, another thing used for false worship. And God is using those things. Who would have ever thought? But God does as God chooses to do. You see, Gideon's father protected him. And it makes me think of Psalm 91, the first verse, and then skipping down to verses 11 and 12. It's all important, but just for sake of time. When the psalmist said, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. God will guard us. Now, sometimes God's general plans are not about me specifically. They're about us as a people and what God is doing as a people rather than individuals, David specifically. And so sometimes some things will happen to me, but God is working in this greater plan. But there is also the specific, that he will save me. And that in the end, as bad as I may feel and as bad as this earth may be, I know what's on the other side. God and his blessing is on the other side. And we will be with him forever. And all this will feel like nothing. You know what it's like with a three-year-old and you tell them that they can't go do what they want to do right now? It just seems like an eternity, right? Sometimes on Sunday morning we get a kid kind of like that in the worship service, right? You know what I'm talking about? They're just insisting that they go out right then or that they're allowed to, that they're allowed to, to drink the little communion cups and you're saying no and it just seems like so, so terrible to them that they're not allowed to? I mean, after all, it's just lying there in the, in the, in the pew. Somebody else has used it, but it doesn't matter, right? They just, it's just terrible. And they cannot understand at all. And you smile because you know it's really not a big deal that you are protecting them and you're helping them and that in five minutes, David will probably stop talking and then we can move on, right? And with the issues of this life that we see, God says, I'm helping you. I'm protecting you. And you know what? It's all going to be over soon anyway. Don't worry. Now, maybe not in our time, but in God's time. I think about the words of John Newton in Amazing Grace. Barbara and I and some of you in the, in the room, the Boz, the Vickery's, maybe some others, had the opportunity to go to John Newton's house back a few years ago in England. And I think about these words when he says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace 
has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Sometimes what we do is, and, and it makes all the sense in the world, we say, okay, let's count our blessings. And we get out a piece of paper and we count our blessings. And I tell you to do that sometimes, you know, write down everything that you're blessed for, you know, that you're able to come and worship with people and you're able to, to sit on a comfortable pew and you're able to watch via the internet or whatever it is. And we count all of our blessings. But how about if every once in a while we count something different and instead we count our dangers, toils, and snares that we have already come through. And we say, wow, God was back there, wasn't he? I have made it through. I have made it this far through this terrible time in my life. I'm already this far. God has done that. And maybe I start remembering times I or a family member was sick or I remember a time that I was without a job or I remember a time, a time that just I had relationship issues. And I remember all those things that I have already been through only because of the grace of God have I survived and thrived, which reminds me that God, through his grace, will lead me on to the future. Sometimes it's good to remember where I've been and remember that it wasn't because of me, but it was because of God. You know, this is pretty simple, simplistic to say, but God is amazing. God is amazing. When you look over hundreds of years of history and God has been working and weaving this plan all along that whenever you start in the book of Genesis and you realize that all of this is connected together, that it's not just a bunch of stories that were thrown in together, but it all makes sense. It's God weaving all of this, that God is overwhelming. So why in the world would I want to be anywhere else than with God? Maybe uh, the only thing I can guess is because people just don't understand God or they're rebelling against God. Is it worth my soul to go solo? Well, there are some folks that think that, aren't there? There are probably some folks that used to fill our pews that have decided it's better to be solo than to be with God. There are people that have decided I would rather be in my sin than be with God. You say, well, what's that like? You know what it's like whenever you're on a diet and you decide, you know what? That peanut buster parfait is worth more to me than the diet. You know, and we've all been there, surely. Those of you who wear my size clothes, you've been there. And we just say, this is, I don't care about that anymore. That's the way some of us live our lives. Well, you've heard me say in the last couple of weeks this idea that, that Jesus is still king, the king is still on the throne, that the Lord is still king. I've said that. I saw that phrase on the internet today, someone put out there, and someone responded, someone I don't know responded to that. And the person said, he's not my king, with an exclamation point, and said, nobody tells me what to do. I have no authority. Wow, you can't live that way because that person may think they don't have an authority, but they really do. Jesus said you can't serve two masters, right? And there are two masters. We serve either God 
or we serve Satan. And so the decision is, who do I serve? God is so amazing. He does so much. And we want, we want to follow him and give him everything we have because he, gives, he has given us all that he has in his son. And so tonight, maybe you want to be baptized into Jesus and start the walk. No reason to go solo, especially not when you have... God is not our co-pilot. You've seen those bumper stickers, you know, he is my co-pilot. No, he's not our co-pilot. He's the pilot. Isn't it great to have a pilot like that? Be baptized into Jesus, just like happened this morning at our second service with a young woman. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of sins and come into the kingdom of God. And we have people who watch on the internet and maybe you say, I don't know anybody to baptize me. We will find you someone if you'll write to us. And if you have prayer requests at elders at mcoc.org, we want to pray for you. Come tonight as we stand and sing. You know.